Welcome to the XA Podcast, the show that brings together the people that foster inclusive innovation across Southeast Asia. My name is Belinda Ong, and I am the Managing Director of the XA Network. Every episode, one of XA's members will lead a fireside chat or panel discussion with other members, founders, or investors that have shaped the tech ecosystem in this vibrant region. If you like what we have to say, please follow or subscribe to our show. And do remember to tell your friends and rate us five stars so others like you can find and benefit from all of our great content. Show notes are linked in the episode description and you'll find notes and additional resources there. Welcome to another episode of the People and Talent series of the XA podcast, where we bring together business leaders, people experts, and career growth specialists to share their insights and views on the latest talent trends with an emphasis on the startup ecosystem in the Southeast Asia region. We bring ideas, trends, innovations, and expert viewpoints to help our listeners learn more about the opportunities and pitfalls in the people space. So, whether you're a startup founder, industry leader, people manager, or a job seeker, our series has something for you. My name is Sergio Salvador, and I am your host for the People and Talent series. In my day-to-day work, I lead the people team at Carson, an e-commerce platform that provides efficient vehicle buying and selling services to individuals, dealers, and entities with a workforce of 5,000 amazing Carsomers. And now, on to today's episode. In today's episode, I am very, very glad to welcome Alex Gold. Alex leads the Southeast Asia business for True and specializes in leadership searches for internet, software, and fintech investments of leading venture capital firms. Uh, prior to joining True Search, he ran his own boutique search firm in Singapore. Alex brings over 15 years of executive search experience, including five years of Conferry within the technology practice. Alex has been in Asia for six years, having previously lived in London and San Francisco. Without further ado, welcome. Welcome to this episode, Alex. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Um, So it's actually, I've actually been in Singapore for 11 years. I don't know where the six six years is a a little bit out of date. Um, So I've been here since 2011. Um, And in the time that I've been here, I've worked three very different sort of ecosystems or, or environments probably a better a better word to use so I, when i came over here i did my first sort of role <clears throat> in-house for a company called mcgraw hill which people will know as Stadden and pools which is the credit rating agency uh, i joined them when the department of justice was was finding the company 2.5 billion dollars for their role in the subprime mortgage crash of 2008 which is an amazing time to effectively try and bring people into an organization when you have when you, when you have an open court <laughs> case against you. Um, and that that was my first exposure to, to to effectively to working in Asia. So that role covered eight different markets. Uh, primary focus was China and Japan, uh, and then sort of secondary was was Southeast Asia. It very quickly taught me where I could be effective and, and and where I couldn't be effective um as a as a as a sort of talent uh, attractor um China and Japan being two fairly obvious examples 
Um, and it was just it was a it was a great exposure just understand the cultural nuances of the of the, all these different markets. You hear it all the time how you know, the fact that Asia is nicely sort of clustered into one region, but when you're actually out here and you experience it yourself, how completely different operating in China is versus Japan versus um, you know the seven or eight other main markets. Um, it it really brought that home to me, and so. Um, I did that for a couple of years. The whole time I was there doing the in-house role, I was constantly spending all my time researching and reading about what was going on in technology, what was going on in the sort of entrepreneurial space. And my wife said to me, well, this is kind of ridiculous. Why, why don't you, you know, make the step and, and, you know, go back into, into that world. And so I met with a, a few firms that were kind of operating in tech. And so I just I wasn't sort of particularly impressed with the vision, uh, with the the focus, the, the the lack of focus um, of a lot of the firms that were kind of also touching technology space. This is from a search, from a recruitment search perspective. So I set up my own firm uh, with no network, no track record, uh, zero relationships. Didn't know any candidates. Didn't know any VCs. Uh, so looking back now, it seems like a potentially a fairly stupid idea. Um, but I had the support of my wife and I knew one thing because uh, I'd met so many recruitment firms in Singapore. I kind of knew what the bar was and I, I had the confidence. That I thought, like, I could, I'm sure I can be better than like at least 60%. I can be better than 60% of the firms here. Um, and so what I did was I, I spent a lot of time in the first sort of six months with my own firm meeting a lot of the VCs. And this was at a time, 2014, where the Singapore government had had effectively uh, at least supported and written checks for a, a number of uh, VCs here, like Jungle, Monks Hill, et cetera, et cetera. So the f you, you saw the sort of first green shoot of, of venture capital here in Singapore. And because I was really the only one that was going and like talking to these firms about kind of C-level hiring, um, and, and quite frankly, I was too early. I was probably two years too early. But I, I'd sowed these relationships. So I created these relationships before there was almost a commercial need or a commercial requirement. Um, and so, so, you know, when the ecosystem matured a couple of years later, that's actually where, you know, the guys kind of that I, I, I'd met two years preceding that kind of remembered me and actually put me in a really good position then because, you know, I knew the ecosystem was going to mature. I, I, I knew that, you know, once the Singapore government decides that they're gonna uh, uh they're gonna invest in an ecosystem that it, it's not a you know it's, it's not a fly-by-night thing that they're, they're gonna this is a, a long a very very long-term decision so um i kind of knew that was was always the market was always going to mature i just had to wait and and that's what i did and at the same time that happened my best friend in san francisco who was working for intel capital had gone to a uh, an event, uh, a, a recruitment event, was sponsored by a company called True, which I'd never heard of. They'd said to him um, that they were looking to expand into Asia. So serendipity, they put me in touch with the founders of True. And this was the first search firm. These were the first founders I spoke to who were actually entrepreneurs first, search guys second. And everything they said about what they wanted to be and equally what they didn't want to be really, really resonated. So they kind of acquired my startup um, and I started with them in 2017. Um, I was on my own for the first year and a half, two years. 
I also had my twins. I had identical twins at the same time, which is not very conducive to starting your own firm uh, or, or launching a launching a firm. And anyway, fast forward to now, we have forty-five people, three different markets. Wow. Uh, I think we are, in terms of number of searches and revenue, uh, now the most sort of successful firm within the. I would say not just technology, but just sort of private businesses, pri- privately backed sort of ecosystem, both venture and, and, and private equity. Um, I'll take a pause. I've been talking for a long time. We, we can probably dig into the work that we've done um, with more specificity. But that, that's just an overview of how I got to where I am today. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. That's, um, that's a great um, introduction to get to know you a little bit about your career and how you got to where you are, you are today. And one thing that strikes me is, uh, I mean, a, a lot of what you did today, what your firm do, does today in this region, is actually working with VCs, PEs, mm-hmm. so private equity, but also startup founders themselves. And um, it, it's always interesting because I think, in my own experience, there are two great truths about especially early stage startups that uh, make it difficult, right, uh, from the kind of recruitment and executive search perspective to, to work with them. And one of them is, that uh, while people, of course, are possibly the most important asset in any company, um, the thinking about people usually comes last after product and business and a few other things. Um, and it's also um, kind of uh, there's, there's, there's this perspective that um, early stage startups would rarely go out and spend money to work with external mm-hmm. search firms, right? Uh, and certainly it is my, my own having experienced it myself, right? I can say that I have seen a little bit of that. But I was wondering, since many of our kind of uh, those who listen to these to these podcasts are founders themselves, right? Uh, what your thoughts are about this? So, so is the is the question about sort of uh, the, the reluctance necessary to sort of pay for um, for, for for recruitment or for search? Uh, yes. Yeah, look, I mean, I think that was, again, this was when I started at True 2017, even with my own firm. I think a lot of people that I met with when I was sort of validating what my approach should be was you'll never do retained. You'll let, you know, you'll, you'll, you know, this is not the market. This is not the reason where people pay uh, up front for these types of services. And um, the temptation was, was quite frankly, to move to the kind of more contingent model. But quite frankly, there's a, 5,000 recruitment firms in Singapore that do contingent. Um, and I don't think the world needs another contingent firm. The, 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 the reality for what we do is on any average sort of search, the amount of, of resources and operational kind of support needed to do a great search. And most of the searches we do are global. And if they're not global, they're at least pan-regional. Uh, I'll give you a good example. See, you know, an average. We did the data the day. An average CTO search. We speak to three hundred and eighty candidates. Three hundred and eighty. There's no way in the world that a contingent firm could possibly expend that amount of time and 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 effort and resources. But if you're looking for the top five percent of talent in a given function. A huge part of what we do, sure, there's the, net, the network. There is some, there's definitely skill involved. I've, I've been doing this for 15 years. There's pattern recognition, but quite a lot of what it is is just is run work. It's sweat, um, and I just think you can you can't, you know, if, if you're doing the retained model, the the minimum expectation, minimum expectation. I talk to my team about this all the time. You have to like you have to speak to pretty much everyone in the market. 
in order to find that that top top you know the top five percent because then we're of the top five percent maybe only one person in that top five percent is actually even open to a conversation or even open to looking at that given moment so um i think we do offer something that's very different we're not we're not a firm that you, you would use to to help you on a number of different hires we don't do like 10 or 6 but rarely do we do certainly in southeast asia we don't do 10 15 engagements to one client if you want to hire a world class cfo if you want to hire a world class cto or vpn or chief sales officer then the chances of you i think getting that 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 individual through a contingent firm who, who can really only spend two weeks on a on a, on a given mandate before they start moving on to another another mandate is is very rare. I, I think the other thing we do, so and you'll know this, is we spend a lot of time with founders really testing their hypotheses of what good looks like. Mm. Most of the time, we work with a client that's never hired that role before. They've never hired a CFO before. They've never hired a CTO before. What we do before we've even taken on the search, part of our due diligence is is um, we we actually have them meet people in our network who we who we know to be great CFOs or great CTOs. Um, a for them to assess whether or not the founder is ready to hire that person, quite frankly, but also for the founder to understand what good looks like because they've got no calibration. Um, and importantly, also to know how to sell to that particular function. Um, I think that a lot of founders forget that this is conviction building on both sides. Um, I can talk for hours on on that last point, but it, it's it's a much more long long and short version is it's a much more um, sort of intensive process when you work with uh, a firm like us. It's it's three months, generally minimum three months. It's pretty intensive, but that's the only way you can get great great talent. Well, that's great, Alex. Uh, thank you, thank you for your thoughts. And um, again, you know, maybe I want to emphasize and go back to something that some of your comments kind of regarding how you work with with founders what it is that you observe and you see how you approach it and specifically um i'm curious to know more about you know how how important do you think it is to get hiring right for companies especially the type of companies that you work with right those theses and private equity firms and most importantly startups uh, I was talking to someone about this the other day. Um, I know this maybe this answer isn't necessarily going to win me a lot of fans, but um, there's a, there's a phenomenal uh, investor. He was the CEO of a company called Wealth, co-CEO I think of a company called Wealthfront, and, and a very successful partner of Benchmark, which is one of the sort of seminal VCs in in uh, in the US. He had I won't quote him exactly, but he basically had this philosophy, which was when a great team meets a lousy market the market wins and when a lousy team meets a great market the market wins the magic happens is when a great team meets a great market and that's when something special can happen right the reality of southeast asia today right so if you were to compare to five years ago the market is is if not infinitely better it's it's you know i i i'm, I'm much more bullish about the overall ecosystem um, it's in a much, much stronger position than it was five years, and it's improving every year. But I still think, let's just talk about Southeast Asia. I still think as a market, Southeast Asia is not a great market. It's maybe not a bad market. It's probably somewhere in between. So therefore, if you agree with me that it's, is it, it's, a, it, it's in the middle market right now, if you don't have 
a great team, you will get a below average outcome. So I can talk a lot about, you know, why teams and and and, and senior, well, senior hearts, but just talent in general is important. But, but that's, I think that's the, my fundamental kind of answer on that. If you don't have a great team in an average market, you will get at best average outcome. Fantastic. So a lot of what you do, right, day in and day out, is um, deal with people. Mm. Right. Um, in some cases, they may be clients. Many cases, they may be uh, people that you reach out to, right, for potential opportunities. In some other cases, maybe those same people that are actually actively considering what is their next adventure in their career. Um, I've always thought that's a privileged position, uh, since you get to know so many different people. And I'm wondering, right, um, if there is one truth that uh, you have learned in, in your career in general about people and talent? Easy question. Yeah. Um, is there one truth? Kind of feels like sort of one one ring to rule them all. Um, <laughs> I think, and this applies actually because this is the first time I've been in a, in a management role myself. I've, I've generally always been an individual contributor. And I think you know as well as I do, a lot of people who are good at the uh, the sales part don't make the best managers so i'm having to i'm having to learn what it is to be a manager and to be a leader and and so that's given me some fresh kind of perspective and and one of the things that's reinforced is just how important self-awareness is um i think when you work with people who are very self-aware um and and then when i so when I apply that then to um, to clients and to, to to candidates and 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 potential um, uh, clients, it's in many ways it becomes self-selecting because if you know who you are and you know what you're good at, you know what you're not good at, you know what you like doing, you don't, you know what you don't like doing, you know whether you're extroverted or introverted, what gives you energy, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you're much more likely to self-select the right people and the right company, similar to a marriage. So I think self-awareness and self-regulation is 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 really is, is is two things I definitely look for a lot more, particularly in more senior in more senior candidates. I think when we're in our twenties, speak for myself, I don't think I was very self-aware. I don't think I was particularly introspective. Um, uh, but when you get when you get to positions of more seniority, when you've seen more of life and you've just got a few more scars, a few more grey hairs as well. Um, that's if you still don't have if you still haven't figured out who you are by the time you're 35, it's going to get it's going to get harder for you. I think you're going to make the wrong mistake. I think you're, you're more likely to make the wrong uh, selections when it comes to who you want to work with, who you want to spend time with. Mm. And that reminds me, actually, I um I think it's difficult to live in this part of the world, right? Um, without picking up a few uh, concepts from um, other types of other religions or mm. philosophies of life. And um, I recently was reading a book that mentioned a concept in Buddhism regarding the fact that uh, there is an idea that goes that uh, every breath that we take, we are creating a new person. Mm. Um, and I think they, I, I, I thought that was beautiful in the sense that, you know, there is a certain kind of um, connection in my mind having a bit of a growth mindset and a growth ability as if you are creating a new person that new person can be a better you next time yeah and i think um uh, i mean there's a book i was reading recently called range and mm -hmm. um, 
it's we, we I certainly grew up in an era where it was all about specialization hyper specialization if you wanted to get ahead and have an impact that you need to you need to specialize you couldn't you know being a generalist would work against you mm-hmm. uh I think uh, that part of that growth at least framework is leaning into discomfort and into areas that you've got no competency and that you you're you're you, you're going to be a beginner and you're going to be you're going to frankly you're going to suck at it and and you're going to get potentially humiliated um as much as that's uncomfortable uh i i see that again with with people that that have gone on to be very successful that i know they're very very good at that part they're very good at kind of having a beginner's mindset and 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 trying different things most of which by the way don't even necessarily kind of fail but it also helps them know what they're good at uh, i think if you just stick to one thing and that's all you do uh you you're 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 living life kind of through black and white you're you're missing out on so much um so then maybe that's another thing i i kind of look for is is just the breadth of, of experience not just career but just in life mm. and maybe on that note right i'm wondering if um if uh, you could share with us perhaps an anecdote or two about any projects that um uh, that you can't remember the most. I see you're already smiling there, right? And uh, I, I don't know if I should ask you maybe for one that went horribly wrong, but then one, uh, another one that you're very proud of. And I'll, I'll let you kind mm. of uh, sidestep the, the first one, if you want, and just no, go for the I, one I, that I, you're very proud of. <laughs> I, I've got, I've got for my early earlier career, I've got one particular kind of horror, horror show, which... It may not resonate with everyone, but having you worked at Egon, so you'll, you'll, I think you'll be able to feel my my pain. I was working on a CTO search for a pretty well-known global bank, and um, this was dealing with the the executive board. So it was it was, and it was one of our biggest clients. This is at Corn, at Corn Ferry, and. Um, I called up someone for the I called up someone for the role and I didn't call them up necessarily. Well, I, I sent them an email. I, I didn't call them up necessarily as a candidate. I just sent them a note saying we're doing the search. This is the client. This is the role. And the person on the, at least on their the sort of LinkedIn bio had a nondescript title and sort of nondescript. It was working kind of as a consultant, strict advisor. Little did I know that he was actually in the role that we were doing the search <laughs> for, and he hadn't been told that he was being replaced. And that went back to the chairman and the CEO. That went to my chairman and CEO at Mont Ferry. Uh, and I'd literally just been promoted and sort of put in the high potential sort of high potential career track. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was two days after that. I got hauled into this to the CEO of us like and 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 shouted. Anyway, you know, credit to Cornberry when it when they kind of went through what happened. Um you know, I, I they could sort of tell it was this was a very honest honest mistake, but for Two three days, I I thought that was the end of my certainly the end of my end of my career. But we 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 kind of recovered the we recovered the relationship. Uh, searches that I'm proud of. Um, I've had a lot of searches in the last couple of years. Really 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 hard searches where it, at times, if you spoke to the founders we were working with, I'm sure there were times where they would have like. I would just want to fire these guys or like they're just not doing it or we're just not meeting the right candidates. And, and we sort of stuck through it thick and thin because every search, you know, pretty much every search never goes in the direct straight line. It never goes the way you, it never goes in, um, it goes through its own curves, ups and downs. Um, 
there's a few CTO searches I've done recently, which I'm really, really proud of. I think I can't talk about it in public, but I think we, we I can say with some confidence that we brought in two of the best CTOs in, in Southeast Asia, really since the sort of eco, the inception of the ecosystem in the last six months. Um, one phenomenal guy from uh, from from China, uh, he was very successful at Tencent and Meituan, um, and uh, another guy from the US. Uh, so one of the proudest searches I've ever done was with Gojek. Um, Sequoia introduced me to Nadine, Andre, and Kevin back in 2017. It's basically my mm-hmm. first, potentially my first kind of client. Flew over to Jakarta, uh, and they, I now know, because RJ has told me, RJ was the CTO, that basically they gave me a hospital pass or, or what you might call like a <laughs> hand grenade search, which was to find them a chief information security officer who had public company experience. But of course, no one, there was no CISO in Asia who had public company experience. Uh, so we went and found someone in the US who would move to uh, who would move to Singapore, but spend most of the time in Indonesia. So as you can imagine, it was a unbelievably challenging search. But we found a guy called George Doe, who is eth- ethnically Vietnamese. Kids have left the net, left left the nest. He and his wife wanted to explore and have an adventure. He was a CISO, went through public with, uh, as a CISO. So, you know, the, the stars aligned and that's what then led to, I don't know, 10 or 15 consequent searches with uh, Gojek. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, for whatever it's worth in the previous story, I did feel your pain. Mm-hmm. Um, it does sound like uh, that's a bit of a scar from which uh, you learned it, 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 a yeah, few things. In the, mo- <laughs> in the moment, it feels horrific. Of course, when you get a bit older, you're like... Uh, that's nothing, right? <laughs> um, and so, listen, you know your stories uh, with, uh, especially with Gojek, right? And obviously, all of those kind of all those projects and work that you have done with the startups in Southeast Asia, mm. uh, but also the type of people that uh, you have essentially got together to create great teams, right? Um, something that was on the back of my mind when you were explaining those stories has to do with culture and you know our founders and, and those and the, the people that that uh work, we work with right, in the XA network across Southeast Asia yeah that that seems to be a very important topic for them right? and i'm wondering if you have any thoughts in general about the importance of culture um and especially in the topic of of you know of getting people maybe from different cultures together you already mentioned two or three different countries or or backgrounds of people that you got to work with other other people in, the, in in southeast asia right and i imagine the cultural aspects would have would have played a certain role in 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 building those teams yeah it's it's um i mean we will definitely not have enough time for this it's it's talked about a lot here and um, I have at times felt, not always, I've definitely at times felt like it was a, an exercise that founders feel like they kind of need to do, but don't put a lot of real thought and time and attention into it. Um, not in, in all cases. It's kind of like, well, let's just have our values and we'll stick them by the table tennis table. You know, I, so there's definitely a time where that felt like it was the case. I think it's, I think it's improving. I think it's improving now. Um, I almost see it as like it's, it's kind of like your operating system. It's what what really, it's what it's what you want. Pe- so how people will behave when you're not in the room, which you, which you have no agency and control over, and that's quite frankly 
how you know 95% of people's time is spent when no one else is <laughs> sitting over their shoulder or, or, or even with them. Um, so it, it is incredibly important, but I think what's more important, we, we a true, true as a firm, I think we've got one of the best, if not the best culture within our industry. We don't talk about it that much. And I'm often more nervous about working with companies who all they talk about is their culture and their values. Because I actually think when it works really well, you don't need to you don't need to go on about it. You don't need to proselytize. Um it's 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 just it's it's almost it's because it's it's how people behave on a day-to-day basis. And then it, it's it's how you hire. You have to have it codified into your hiring practice. So if you're hiring the right people, if you've got a clear sense of what the key your key values are, uh, and then you 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 codify that into your hiring framework, it kind of takes care of itself. Um, now I'm I'm being maybe a bit trite, but but I honestly think that's that's get those two bits right, um, and it and it goes a hell of a long way. Um, mm-hmm. And then what, what what is also important is that when you do hire wrong, if you've got if you've got a clear sense of what behaviors are are tolerated and sort of amplified within your company, when you do make the wrong hire, it's quite clear, it stands out. You you can pick up on it pretty quickly. Mm. It's interesting that you describe culture almost in the same terms I describe technology in general. I, I do have a background in technology, right? And I always say mm. something similar. It's like if technology is working, no one notices it. You only yeah. notice it when it's not working. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and that's how it should be, really. Right? You should never notice the technology you're using because it just does what it's supposed to yeah. do. I had never thought about culture that way, but I think you're also very, very right about that. Um, so sure. maybe we change a little bit of tack and we go back to you right, for the, the, the next few minutes. And uh, one thing that I've learned is that you're also an investor yourself. I understand you put a little bit of money here and there as an angel investor, if I'm not too wrong. Mm. And I was hoping to have an, I, you know, get a, some thoughts from you on your investing philosophy. Is you also get, you're very privileged in the sense that you get to work with many founders, many CEOs of early stage and later stage startup startups but you also have an opportunity to put your your money where your mouth is if you will right um yeah. and uh and put some money behind companies from time to time tell us a little bit about it yeah no i, I am very fortunate i mean it it, it, it can uh, it could also be very expensive for me if, I, if i've got a bad batting average but um i um yeah so i certainly wouldn't i would never call my uh, myself an, an investor it's definitely more it's, it's nearly always more circumstance um because to your point, I'm very fortunate by the network that I've got um, to get quite a you know reasonable amount of deal flow, um, and of course I meet a lot of operators that then become founders, which is you know, and I know and I often know them before they before they become a founder. So I've built that relationship with them, uh, and I and I've got insight into how they were as a as an operator. So I, I suppose I have some asymmetry advantage. Uh, not not huge, but certainly some asymmetry advantage. And um, the other the only other thing that I think I have I have an advantage is just being an above average judge of talent and 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 character. Um, you know, one of the questions I can answer with with more certainty is could could I see this person attracting the most talented people that I know? 
Um, and that's going to be really important for a business that wants to wants to scale. It's not the most important for the zero to one. It's not unimportant, but it's certainly pretty important for one to two. Um, you know, when it comes to market sizing, commercial due diligence, technology, et cetera, et cetera, not my forte. And, I, and I'll rely on others to do that. But it's, you know, it's very much secondary for me. So if I like the founder, I'll, in, I'll always introduce them to other sort of angels and, and people that I, I, I hold in high esteem and I'll solicit feedback from them, which helps me kind of remove the bias and it fills in the gaps for the bits that I, I'm fairly sort of ignorant or, or, or not as good at. Um, so the, the, yeah, it's all very sort of very opportunistic, but it's, it's something I enjoy and it's something I'm probably doing, I, I'm doing more of, um, now than, than, than sort of three years, three years ago, I'm seeing more operators coming, coming out and I, and I love, you know, I, I, I I feel sort of very bullish about the, the quality of senior mid mid level senior operators that are coming out of some of the scaled uh, technology companies because of course they have the one big thing that we didn't have eight nine years ago is they have insights. They have the insights of of all the mistakes and all the things they got right or or, or, or the company they work for got right going from baby to uh, toddler to teenager mm -hmm. to adolescent mm -hmm. to adult <laughs> and i think i can only echo that sentiment right um uh, coming from the industries that we come from uh different career paths but definitely very very focused on people um you know i would always look for the same things as well kind of myself right on the basis that people are the most important asset of any company and mm -hmm. going back to what you said earlier which i think made a, a, a significant impact on me right about building the best possible team that one can build right i think that can de de decide the fate of any of any idea whether that idea becomes a a unicorn and a multi-million dollar business or not having the right people behind it yeah um Maybe a couple of additional questions just to wrap up briefly. And um, the first one would be about a recommendation. Um, I always like to finish these conversations with um, a recommendation, if you have one, of a book or ebook, right, for that matter, uh, that uh, you might want to recommend uh, to our listeners. So um, I'm terrible at remembering titles, and that's probably the, the result of. of that's the problem with Kindle and ebook. Um, I can try to do a sneaky Google search here while you're talking. No, 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 it's, it's all right. Because I actually, well, I've got an audio book, which I listened to recently, um, which is very, very helpful when you have a one-year-old that's not sleeping. Um, and I listened to, I had read the book a, a long time ago, um, but I, maybe I just was like put out of my memory, but I listened to the audio book, which is excellently done. And it's, uh, it's called Endurance, mm -hmm. um, which is about, Shackleton's failed uh, attempt to reach the South Pole in, I think, nineteen early, early, early twentieth century, and I mean, listen to the audiobook. It's it's so good at, at transposing you into the environment, which back then was. I mean, I can't even probably do it justice. I can't describe how horrific mm -hmm. the experience must have been for the thirty or forty odd men that was stuck in the South Pole for four months in the most horrendous conditions mm -hmm. with no food uh no warmth uh with none of the uh there's a patagonia <laughs> jackets that we have <laughs> today so uh, what i what that book is just it's all about 
challenge and adversity. And I think it helps me put into perspective, um, yeah, the, the true meaning of grit. Mm. Um, and it's fairly awe-inspiring. And I think um, the hardship that they went through, you know, even the, the sort of world's most awful torturer could not even come close. Um, and through it all, what, what what's so amazing when you when you listen to it or read it, that the so Shackleton was clearly just the most unbelievable leader because through it all, um, there was no infighting amongst the men. Uh, they didn't give up. They didn't lose hope. Hmm. And hearing what they went through, it feels almost like inconceivable that wouldn't that wouldn't have happened. At least, at least with with you know, the odds are at least some of the men. Um, but the fact it didn't was testament to Shackleton's sort of leadership, courage, fortitude. And I think it's because he he was always the first one to put his hand up to do the really horrible nice. jobs or tasks. So he just led led by example. Um so I highly recommend it, and I think the audio looks very, very good. And I have to say, when uh, while you were describing it, uh, you didn't bring it up specifically, right? But one word that was in my mind, um, how you were describing the story, that came up was resilience, mm. something that we've all had to see a lot of and develop yes. in the last couple of years or so, right? And, and something that is actually very, very important also in 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 the world of startups, in the startup ecosystem, many startups are, at the end of the day, a bit of a roller coaster, right? And that can be a good thing. It might mean that you're going in the right direction, but certainly as, as founders and, and leaders of startups, um, resilience is the is, is a type of um, ability or a skill, if you will, right, that, uh, that helps them see through, right? which is also something investors are looking for in many cases. All right, so uh, we've um, we've come to the end of this discussion. We need to wrap up, Alex. Um, before we do that, uh, where can others uh, find you and connect with you? What are the easiest ways? Um, I I would give my I don't even know if I know I know what my my, my Twitter uh, username would be. So in LinkedIn, I'm honest. LinkedIn is probably the easiest and, and best. I mean, as a recruiter, LinkedIn is both a blessing and a curse. Um, but it's probably the easiest way of getting getting a hold of me. So uh, LinkedIn, looking for yeah. Alex Alex Gold, yeah, uh, from True Search. Yeah, the in, the photo on uh, the photo on my LinkedIn. Uh, people won't know this. This is a slightly funny backstory to it. Uh, we did corporate photos um, at True, and uh, three four years ago. But I I had just come back from a trip, and I had been sleeping for about and I had. Uh, my twins weren't sleeping. I've been sleeping for about an hour a night for about two weeks. I looked horrendous. So we couldn't use my corporate photos. So the photo that's on there is actually, you can't see it, but we cut out uh, one of my one of my twins. It was actually our baby photos. <laughs> I, just, I just edited it just had my, my face. <laughs> well, I've, I've seen all kinds of uh, profile pictures on LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, this doesn't sound like the worst one. So No, I don't think so. I wouldn't worry too much. Slight, but all you would see is like the top of a baby's head. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. So uh, Alex Goldie on LinkedIn, look for the baby pictures, yeah. um, uh, the cutout baby pictures. Alex, yeah. thank you so much for your time. Thanks, really appreciate it. Um, I had a great time with this discussion. Um, and listen, I'm looking forward to our next coffee. Sounds good. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Bye. Before we close, as a reminder, show notes are available on the link 
in the episode description. So do click through to get a summary and related resources. We hope you liked the episode as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. And if you did, please do spread the word about our podcast and take a second to rate us five stars. Thank you for joining us today. This was Belinda with the XA Podcast. See you next time.